My husband and I have been married for 16 years, and the worst fight that we ever got in was a fight about chicken and dumplings. See, we, my family has this tradition growing up that on the first really cold day of the year, we make chicken and dumplings. And so once I got married, I wanted to transfer that tradition to our marriage. Only the problem is, Aaron's mom also made chicken and dumplings, but with a very different recipe. So the argument became, well, whose mom's dumplings do we try to make for this new tradition for our new family? My mom makes them with Bisquick, and she hates chicken, so she just uses broth to get the taste, and it's just a bowl full of dumplings. Aaron's mom uses pie crust, no Bisquick, that's not good enough, and makes this really thick, meaty thing with a lot of chicken in it. And so one time, maybe two or three years into our marriage, I was like, you know what, I'm going to be a good little wife, and I'm going to make chicken and dumplings Aaron's mom's because it's just not worth the fight this year. So I go, I called his mom, I was like, I need this recipe, I don't know how to do it this way, tell me all the things. She tells me what to do. I spend like, well, she makes this pie crust from scratch, so I spend like an hour making these chicken and dumplings, and in the midst of everything, because cooking is not my spiritual gift, I forgot to put in the chicken. I just forgot, like it wasn't intentional. It was just, there were so many other steps to make homemade pie crust, and I just forgot. And when Aaron got home, and I'm like, look, honey, I made chicken and dumplings. And he goes, you left the chicken out again. And I was like, oh, no. And it was this huge fight. He, like, calls his mom. He's like, mom, she left the chicken out again. And I called my mom. I'm like, mom, he likes chicken and his chicken and dumplings. I don't know what to do. Every year now, 15 years later, when we make our chicken and dumplings, we have to retell that story. Because it's an origin story for mine and Aaron's new family that we were creating. Even though we don't fight about it anymore, we've settled on a, on a nice little compromise. But these are the stories that we tell over and over again. They make us who we are. All of us, as John Bowley said last Sunday, are made up of stories. We're layers upon layers, not just things that have happened to us or things that we've experienced, but things that happened to our parents, things that our grandparents did. And so as we've been talking about the origin stories of Jesus, we've been looking at all the different things that the scripture says about him even before he was born. And we focused on Luke's gospel. Luke begins Jesus' origins with Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary, and he goes into John the Baptist a little bit. But none of the other gospel writers do this the same way. Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus, and he starts, like, with Abraham. Abraham gave birth to Jake, to Isaac, who gave birth to Jacob, who gave birth to, and over and over and over. None of us read the first, like, few verses of the, the gospel of Matthew because it's just a list of names. And then Matthew tells us the story of Joseph, which is really cool because we don't hear that anywhere else. Mark just bypasses the birth narrative altogether and goes straight into it. And John the Baptist came out of the wilderness preaching the gospel. But John, the gospel of John, blows them all away. Because John doesn't just tell an origin story of Jesus. John tells the origin story of Jesus. John says, in the beginning was the word. In Greek, that's the logos. It's 
what the Greeks believed was the creative spark that brought everything into being. And it means word. And John's like, yeah. In the beginning was that word, and that word was with God. And that word was God. He was in the beginning with time, and through him all things were made that have been made, and in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. John says this guy's origin stories didn't just start with Zechariah or Mary and Joseph. This guy's origin story started at the beginning of time. He was there when the world began. He was there before anything else was. He's one of the three persons of our triune God. Now let me pause for a second because the Trinity, the triune nature of God, God in three persons, three in one, this is interesting and mysterious and complex and sort of unfathomable. And it's so confusing that most people I know, we just kind of like pick one. Like which, which, which one's your favorite? Pray to that one. I have friends who like only pray to Father God all the time. That's who they pray to. Then I have other friends that only pray to Jesus, Lord Jesus, all the time. Dear Lord, dear Jesus. And then my charismatic friends, they, they bypass both of those and just speak in tongues to the Holy Spirit the whole time. And they don't even talk about the other two. One time I was teaching a first and second grade Sunday school class, and we were talking about Jonah and the whale. The Bible never calls it a whale, so we were talking about Jonah and the big fish with first and second graders, and one of these second grade boys raises his hand and says, I have a question. And I was like, yeah, but what's up? He's like, so Jesus was God, but Jesus also walked on this earth, and Jesus talked to God when he was here. So was God still in heaven, or was Jesus not really God because he was talking to himself, or was he just crazy? How did this work? I said, well, young child... I can totally see how you got from Jonah and the whale to the complex inner workings of Trinitarian theology. But little Johnny's over there licking a marker and we've got five minutes left of Sunday school, so we're not going to be able to talk about this today. So without going into the finer points of our Trinitarian theology, the truth is that Christ is one of the three persons of the Godhead, our three-in-one God, who was in the beginning. Christ's origins are cosmic in nature. The creator, the Christ, the spirit, these are who were in the beginning creating the world. The origins of Jesus are older than time itself. And this thought becomes so much more fascinating to me at Advent. When I think about him coming to earth as a baby, because I think about what he must have given up in order to come be with us. That one who was in the beginning not just came to earth as a human. He came as the most vulnerable of humans. He could have just popped onto the scene as a king somewhere. Or as the richest man in the world, but instead he came as a baby. He subjected himself to the limitations of things like a biological birth. And the need to be nursed by his mom. And to be taught how to walk, how to talk, how to drink from a cup. The cosmic Christ was this all-powerful being, but Jesus was a human man subjected to the human limitations that all of us have. The cosmic Christ was outside of time, but Jesus, time was linear for him. The cosmic Christ was this ethereal being, but Jesus had bodily limitations like we do. The cosmic Christ was infinitely connected with God, totally uninhibited, but Jesus on this earth had to pray. He had to learn his scripture. He had to get away to a quiet moment and seek. 
so many ways he limited himself, made himself vulnerable in order to come be with us. And he did this all because of love. We've been following the Sundays, like Trish mentioned, about love and joy and peace and hope. Um, and we talked about how Jesus' origin stories are rooted in things like hope and peace and joy. But this origin story, the origin story of Jesus, is not just rooted in love. The origin story of Jesus is love. Love is the reason he came to this earth. Love is the reason he limited himself for us. But more than that, love is the reality at the center of this weird, mysterious thing we call the Trinity. God is love. And I'm going to pause for a second because I've heard that my entire life. God is love. God is love. We say that all the time. But I think most of the time when we say that, what we're really trying to get across is like a descriptor. Like we're trying to say God is loving. And that is true. God is a lot of things. God is just. God is merciful. God is kind. But scripture never says that God is justice. Scripture never says that God is mercy. It never says that God is kindness. But it does say that God is Love, not just loving, not just descriptive, but love itself. The nature of the being of the triune God, the cosmic Christ, is love. Like Christina Rossetti said in her poem, like Chuck said, like Megan sang, love literally came down at Christmas. Or like John says in his gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. My favorite version is Eugene Peterson's translation in the message that says the word grew flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. The creative spark, the God of all things, grew flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood and he did it because of love. Have you all heard the pot roast story from a preacher yet? It's kind of like a mythological sermonizing thing that every pastor I've ever known has told us. I'm going to tell it to you again. So if you've heard it, just put this one in, in your back pocket. So uh, it's kind of like a tall tale, but there's the story of this woman who's making a pot roast. And she was following her family's recipe. And at the very end, she cuts off the end of the pot roast. She puts it in the pan and she puts it in the oven. And her kid is watching her. And her kid's like, Mom, why did you cut off the end of the pot roast? And she's like, I don't know. That's just how my mom always did it. So the next day, that woman calls her mom and she's talking about stuff. And she says, oh, Mom, by the way, I made the pot roast recipe last night. Quick question, why do you chop off the end of the pot roast before you put it in the oven? And the mom says, I don't know. That's just how your grandma always did it. So she was like, you know what, I'm going to hang up and I'm going to call grandma. So she picks up the phone. She calls grandma. She says, hey, grandma, we made the pot roast recipe last night. Everybody loved it. It was so good. By the way, why do we chop off the end of the pot roast before we put it in the oven? And the grandma says, well, honey, I only had one pan, and it wasn't long enough for the pot roast. So I had to cut the end off to make the pot roast fit to put it in the oven. <laughs> They've been doing this for years and years, and it wasn't really necessary anymore. We're going to talk about love for a second and the good news of Christ's love for us, but for some of us, there may be some elements of pot roast in what I'm about to say. So hang with me. This is the good news that I want us all to hear today. You are fully seen and fully known 
and fully loved by God, exactly as you are right now, today. There are no ifs about it. There are no buts about it. There's no God loves you if you would just do this. Or God loves you, but God really wants you to do this. There are no ifs. There are no buts. God loves you exactly as you are right now, today. You do not earn this love. You cannot earn it, and it cannot be lost. Because this love is not merit-based. It is the free gift of the God who is love. And it's in no way tied to how you act or how much you pray or how holy you are or what people think Christians should or should not be like. It is based on none of that. You are loved, period, by the God who is love, exactly as you are right now, today. The other night when we had our little, uh, what I think I called the wonder session about Zechariah um, a few Sundays ago, um, Shirlene told us a story, and I got her permission to share it with you again today. Uh, but Shirlene said that she was in another church, and I might get some of these details wrong, but she was at another church, and she was asked to say a prayer in the service. And she was young, and she was nervous, so she wrote down her prayer, and then she got up, and she read the prayer in the service. And after it was over, the minister came up to her and told her that she was going to hell because you should be able to pray your prayers from your heart. You don't need to write them down. And then one day she came to Day Spring, which back then was Del Mar, and she heard the pastor of Del Mar Baptist Church say, God is love. And that was revolutionary to her. She had never heard that before. And to hear her say it, she said it then and she said it again this morning, that changed everything for her. To hear that God is love. Some of us need to hear that today. That God is love. But some of us need to hear it and also hear the second half to it. God is love and not a love that you have to earn. Love that is freely given. If you pray every day, God loves you. If you can't remember the last time you prayed, God loves you. If your life is filled with joy and contentment and freedom, God loves you. If your life is filled with shame and guilt and depression and anxiety, God loves you. If you've made all the right decisions in your life, God loves you. If you have made none of the right decisions in your life, God loves you. See, this is where the pot roast comes in. Unlike Shirlene, I've been told my entire life that God is love. But it was always a love that also came with, like, some ground rules. Okay? God's going to love you, but here's what you need to make sure you do. You need to make sure you pray and read your Bible for 30 minutes and make sure you go to church. You need to ask Jesus into your heart and make sure you don't fall into sin and make sure you treat everybody nicely. So when I did screw up, when I forgot to have my quiet time, or when I was rude to that guy that cut me off, or when I slept in after church, like I didn't go to church because I spent the night with someone, I was flooded with these feelings of guilt and shame and self-condemnation. And I could pray the most effusive prayers, begging God to forgive me, telling God that I was so sorry for what I had done because I was afraid that I would fall out of God's good graces. And that's not love. That is not a relationship based on love. That's a relationship based on merit. That's me earning my way into God being happy with me and worried that I'm going to lose it if I don't do the right thing. And I had heard this my entire life. And it's something that I just believed because someone taught it to me. 
Probably because someone taught it to them. Probably because someone else taught it to them and it was the pot roast story. But I realized that it wasn't God going, hey, Andrea, you didn't have your quiet time for 30 minutes this morning. I love you, but I am very disappointed in your behavior right now. That wasn't the voice of God. It's hard to break those pot roast chains, though. At Christmas, more than any other time of year, we are reminded that due to no merit of our own, the infinite cosmic Christ became finite for us. The logos from the beginning of all things was birthed into this world as a baby because God so loved the world. You and me, exactly as we are. Unmerited. And maybe some of us struggle with that because we're used to earning things, especially in our society. We feel like things come better, like things are better when we earn them, but as opposed to just being given, I need to earn my way up. So if I don't earn God's love, if God loves me just as much as that jerk who cut me off, what's the point? Why can't I go cut people off left and right too? Why should I be any different than anybody else if God's love is completely unmerited and he just loves everybody? This is what my children would say. Why does it matter if I obey you if you're going to give Micah exactly what I want to Well, the truth is we do have a choice in the matter. But it's not the choice that we normally think. It's not choosing whether or not we do these things in order to make God happy. Our choice is whether or not to receive the love of God. When I was in college, I had this new theology professor. And he told us that we were going to have a test and that it was going to be hard. So I was like... I mean, I'm pretty smart, so sure, it's going to be hard. Um, the theology professor who just left was known for being ridiculously hard, so this guy came in and we were all like, hey, you're easy, this is going to be a great course. So he warned us that it was going to be hard, and I was like, okay, sure. So I studied a little, um, and I walked into that test, and it was the hardest, I think I would fail it today, after two like seminary diplomas. It was the hardest test I've ever taken in my life. And I sat there, and I like reread the questions and I probably started sweating. I don't know. It was awful. And I finished and I turned it in and I was like, I, I just bombed that thing. I know it. I just bombed that test. And I talked to my friends and they were like, that was the hardest test I've ever taken. All of us were like, this is going to be awful. So two days later when we get to class, the professor says, so I graded your tests. And what I've decided to do is just give you all A's. And we went, what? <laughs> is this a joke? Because that's not funny. Um, he was like, no. It was a really, really hard test. Um, whether you studied a lot for it or whether you didn't study at all for it, everybody is going to get an A. And it was like this moment of, I don't know what to do with myself. I know that I could have said more. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know that I could have worked harder, maybe gotten a good grade. I was so grateful for that gift. I was like, this is incredible. I've never had a professor do this before. I was to tell everybody, guess what happened? Guess what happened? Some of my other professors were like, I can't believe that guy did that. That was awful. But that's actually not even the point of the story. There was another girl in my class who was mad when this professor said this. She was livid. I guess she probably studied more than the rest of us. But she actually went back to the professor and said, I do not want the A. I want you to grade my test 
and I want to get the grade that I actually earned. And he respected her wishes, and he graded it. I don't know what she made. I don't know how that turned out for her. But she was given a gift of grace, and she chose not to receive it. This is our choice with the love of God. We are given the gift of grace, whether we earn it or not. We are given the love. We do not earn it. And our choice is to receive it, to let it seep deep down in us that we are loved. Or not. We could keep trying to earn it. Shirley could have heard that pastor at Delmar Baptist Church say that God is love, and she could have been like, nah. I don't believe you. I mean, God is love as long as you don't write down your prayers, and therefore I will never be doing that again. But instead, she heard the truth that God is love, and she let that sink down deep into her, and it changed everything. This is the choice that we have when it comes to God's love. Not how to act in order to earn it, but whether or not we are just going to receive it and let it change how we live. I told you my response to that test, right? That I was so excited. I'm sure I was in a much better mood after I got the news than I was before I got the news. And I tell you what, the next time I had a test in that guy's class, I actually did study. Not because I was worried about earning my grade, but because I wanted to show him that I was grateful for what he did last time. And that I was going to do my best to let it change how I functioned in his class. When we let the love of God be something that we just receive and accept and know who we are and who God says we are. It changes how we live. We might do all those same things, pray, read our Bible, go to church, etc., but not because we're earning God's love, because we're living in response to God's love. Let the love of God today be something that you receive as the gift that it is and live our lives, like John said in his prayer, in response to it. Because God loved us, that changes how we, how we live for others. But the first step is for us to remember that God came to this earth for no reason other than the fact that God loved you and wanted you to know that you are loved. We're going to take a moment to respond to this together today. And I know it's going to be a little bit different, but I'm going to ask you to go here with me. Here's what I'd like for you to do. Stick your hands out like this in front of you. Everybody's going to do it, so nobody has to worry about looking weird. And go ahead and close your eyes. I know that's risky, too. A lot of people don't like closing their eyes. I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Stick your hands out in front of you. Close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me, but first I want to tell you this again. You are fully seen and fully known and fully loved by God, and there are no ifs or buts about it. So if you would like to, you are invited to repeat after me. Jesus, we receive your love. We do not earn it. We cannot lose it. We receive it. And we will live in response to it. Amen. Let's worship together.
is happening in the life of the church in the next few weeks. Um, the very first thing, most immediate thing, is that immediately after the service, we're going to have coffee and conversation right out there in the narthex, and then we're going to have our budget discussion where we'll be both voting on the budget for 2023 and on whether or not to call Trish as our new moderator for uh, leadership team. Um, and then tonight we have manna and youth and young children. And I just want to take a moment to say, God bless Angie Smith. You know, you handed these lights and like, you've got Brayden who's trying to run away, which Lindsay, you did a great job. You've got Bennett who's like sticking his flashlight in his eye. Like, you just, you're fantastic. Kids are great. Um, we've got man and youth and young children tonight. We're also having a carol sing at the same time. It starts at 5.30. We're going to, uh, I think everybody's invited if you have Christmas cookies to bring your Christmas cookies. Lisa's going to get that all um, good and set up for us. We'll enjoy some cookies and we'll just sing some carols. It's going to be like a come request your favorite song. But I did tell Stephanie, she's not expected to know every Christmas carol ever created. Okay, So she reserves the right to be like, I don't know how to play that. And we'll move on to something that's actually in our um, we've got our Christmas Eve service in less than a week. It feels so weird to say that. Christmas Eve is on Saturday. It's at 5 p.m. I think it's going to be really special. I hope that you will be able to join us if you are in town. And then we will not be having church on Sunday morning. The leadership team made that decision well before I got here. So if you have issues, talk to them about it. Um, no, but seriously, enjoy Christmas with your family at your house, and then we will have our next service together on Sunday morning. It's going to be January 1st, and we're going to kind of combine it. We're going to have our um, New Year's breakfast. That is New Year's Day, but we're also going to stay down at the anniversary hall and have a short service connected. So you'll come at the same time, 1030. There will be no um, adult, Bible, adult Sunday school that day. You can come at 1030, and we'll just have a breakfast together and a worship service around the tables, and I think that's going to be really neat as well. So that was a lot of things. If you did not remember them all, they are all listed in your worship guide so that you can keep your eye on it. Was there anything else? There is. <laughs> good question. Good time. Um, the conversation uh, as a welcome gift has uh, gotten you, Aaron, Zoe, Mike, and Maggie, uh, membership, years membership to the Magic House. <laughs> oh my gosh! Y'all, thank you! <laughs> wow, this is amazing! We have been wanting to take our kids to the Magic House, and we're like, we're going to need to save up to take all three of our children at the same time. This is wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, why don't we stand and let me lead us in our benediction? And you can, we can enjoy your coffee conversation in our budget meeting. May the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the perseverance of the wise men, the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph, and all the blessings of the Christ child be yours this Advent season and beyond. Amen. Amen.